And when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard nor welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it is better to speak, remembering we were never meant to survive. Welcome to Better to Speak, the podcast, where we use storytelling to transform silence into language and action. I'm your host, Casey Felton. I don't want to take up too much time in the intro because I want y'all to get into this interview with Trisha Hersey, the founder, curator of the Nat Ministry, aka the Nat Bishop. The Nat Ministry is an Atlanta-based organization that examines the liberating power of naps. Now, when I first heard of her and the NAP ministry, she hosted a writing workshop at this pop-up hosted by the Atlanta chapter of the Free Black Women's Library back in October. She explores the trauma of sleep deprivation as a racial and social justice issue, the impact of capitalism on our spirits and bodies, and most importantly, the power of rest and communal healing. Her work has ranged from public installations where she's taken naps, where other people can nap, to lectures, to writing workshops, as I mentioned, and again, centering things like spiritual, liberatory healing practices that emphasize community and soul care to allow us to come home to our bodies and resist the capitalist, individualist society that we live in, which tells us that we should put productivity above everything. As I've begun my own rest practice, and we elaborate on what exactly that means in the interview, I realized that even being in my early 20s, where the cultural narrative for a lot of us is to grind and work super hard so we can enjoy our 30s and beyond, that way of thinking and being has taken a huge toll on me just out of the desire to work and be involved in things and really like prove myself to be quite honest and ultimately make sure that I'll have a financially secure future. Those are all things that keep me from embracing and prioritizing rest. And not just sleep necessarily, but idle time, daydreaming, and just being, which Trisha later explains in the interview. So there was always that underlying fear of damn near anxiety, really, of just, you know, being productive in some way, shape, or form at all times. And that that way of being doesn't allow you to just be and enjoy simply existing. And thinking about that contextually as a black person, specifically as a black woman, we're never allowed to just be. Society and history tells us that we have to work harder to get certain things. If and when we do get those things, we have to work harder to keep a grip on them. And we see that the role of black women in society is often to bear its burdens, um, to bear the burdens of our local communities and even our households, our families in a lot of ways. So black women really are not given room to rest. Black people are not given room to rest. And in doing so, in reclaiming our bodies, reclaiming our time, our energy, and actively prioritizing rest, it truly is an act of resistance to every facet of society that demands our labor, whether that be physical, mental, or emotional labor, every second of every day. So there's this article that I read a while ago that I actually want to read an excerpt from here. Of the two types of intellectuals that lingered in the cultural memory of Africans, only the medicine man was compatible with the condition of plantation slavery. The priests were not to be tolerated by slaveholders for at least two reasons. First, at a pragmatic level, the slaveholding class sought to extract as much work as possible from the Africans. In a social order based on economic definitions of worth, the idea of a reflective and non-laboring slave was unimaginable. So reading that gave me a lot of context to Trisha's work with the NAP ministry and contextualized this concept of rest as resistance. As I began learning about capitalism and anti-capitalism more specifically, juxtaposed with the legacy of shadow slavery, it showed me that rest truly is an act of resistance, especially for black folks. 
You see so many stats about the toll that stress from daily life as well as systemic racism takes on our lives and our bodies, but there aren't mass movements to really understand that and unlearn it and cultivate lives of rest and ease. The stereotype of, you know, black people being lazy is definitely one thing that is always in the back of my mind, that feeling of, oh, if I don't overexert myself constantly, that people will see me as lazy. And so that's just one way, like, you know, I don't want to fulfill the stereotype, you know, that people may be um, perceiving me through. And so not that, you know, the base concern here is not that I won't accomplish my goals for my own life or that I won't be the person that I want to be. Um, it's that other people might see me as lazy. And so that's often the mindset that I take with me into work, school, and even when I'm at home, which should really be, you know, the headquarters of my rest and relaxation. And so I definitely said that I did not want to take a long time on the intro, but reflecting on my conversation with Trisha in the past, I want to say the past couple of weeks um, since that took place has definitely inspired me to not only think about the role that rest plays or even doesn't play in my life, but also to make it a point to actively resist white supremacist capitalist culture and make time for resting and dreaming and reconnecting with myself. And so I really hope y'all feel her words like I felt them because she definitely dropped a lot of gems throughout our conversation. That's why they call her the Nat Bishop. Um, and I'll be sure to include information about how you can connect with her in the Nat Ministry in the show notes. I was born in Chicago, grew up there my entire life. I now live in Atlanta. I've been here for 10 years, but both sets of my grandparents were um, a part of the Great Migration. So they left the South, Mississippi and Louisiana to come up to Chicago. And so I've been doing work in Chicago for years um, as a theater maker, artist, um, teaching artist, doing a lot of mostly things in art. And so when I moved to Atlanta, I decided to go to um, graduate school. So I went to Divinity School at Emory University, the Cameron School of Theology. I was here for like maybe two years and decided I wanted to go back to school, but didn't know what I wanted to go for. And so I went um, with this calling in my heart about wanting to go and study Black liberation theology and womanist theology. And, and while there, I was, you know, like most people who I talked to in graduate programs started to feel the pressure and the grind and it just it was very traumatic being in school at a predominantly white institution and just the pace of it was nothing like I'd ever seen and from that experience I started to just experiment with with really just resting you know just having a personal experience me being a tired black working mom in graduate school full-time just you know the black lives matter was heating up at the time so that was a lot of happening in the world around race and around trauma and protesting. And I was involved in a lot of that. And so I just started to just rest and started to feel better. And then I started to just integrate all the things I was learning in my program. And also having a background of being a performance artist and theater maker, I just, and also a community activist. Um, I started to just think of the ways in which, uh, what was happening to me on a somatic level, how I was feeling better before I'm resting, how I felt like I was receiving downloads from my ancestors. I was able to like really create this dream space for myself to be able to get me to tap into like my higher self and also to disrupt and push back against capitalism and push back against what white supremacy wanted me to think of myself. And so all those things just led into me experimenting. So the NAB ministry really is an experiment. I never in any way, shape or form thought, oh, I'm going to start this organization. It's going to be this global movement. Thousands of people are going to be watching. I just really thought this was a cool project. I'm an artist. I'm interested in it. I'm curious in it. And so I've 
popped off so many different art projects over my course of being an artist for close to 20 years. And this was just one of many. I was like, you know, we'll see where it goes. I thought it would be a one day only event. Um, I was, I did a one woman show around the work, presented it in Atlanta and it just kept growing. That was in 2017 and it just kept growing and growing and growing. So that's kind of like how I'm here now. I was just being a curious black woman who wanted to experiment. Um, and then my next question is, um, as I was writing these and thinking about like what the conversation would be today, I was thinking that like rest seems like something that's so inherent to human behavior, something that we shouldn't have to think about. Um, yeah. So can you talk about like, what does it mean to cultivate like an intentional rest practice? Yeah, like it shouldn't be radical that I'm talking about rest and right. I'm talking about go to sleep, but that tells you how deep we are in the culture that we live in. In, in our American culture, in a Western culture, really, it's not just America's West, the Western world. I want to say it's the global world. Um, but specifically here in the U.S., um, white supremacy and capitalism is what I call grind culture. So grind culture is like the collaboration of those two things and also patriarchy. So all these oppressive, toxic systems have co have collaborated together to make it what we feel that our worth is... Um, we have our worth as human beings based on how much we produce. Everything is about production and um, being a tool for the production of capitalism, which really goes back to slavery, it goes back to, you know, the history of our ancestors working um, on plantations, being enslaved and being like the people who built this entire economic system on their backs um, without resting, without sleeping, seeing people as human machines. And so because we are so deeply in that culture, and many a times we don't even realize we are in it because it's just a part of our socialization as we're born in, the, in this country. From the time you're born, you're trained, all of culture is working against you to kind of like not rest, to kind of train you to be this human machine who can produce for this big system. And so really i think the first part of this work is really just uplifting that fact and letting people know you are you have been brainwashed like like this is a real thing like you you, you don't really realize it because you're living it but when you start to like just illuminate it so my really goal when i first started was just to like bring this up and just give it an idea to say this is what's happening. People were like, really? I can't believe that I'm like, no, you are brainwashed. If you grew up here, you are. You're in this toxic system. And so really getting to a rest practice is where the disruption and the pushback and the resistance comes from. The framework that I've created is um, the rest is resistance framework. And so from that framework, we look at um, how rest is really a disruption, a pushback against these two cap two toxic systems that say we aren't enough, we have to do more. And so that's where it becomes a resistance movement. That's where this is really a political and social justice movement. And it's really um, uh, a social and racial justice issue. So it's not just about mere wellness. It's really about like pushing back and disrupting. So that's why it's so important to have this consistent um, rest practice so that you can start to deprogram your own mind and also collectively help to like dismantle and upset capitalism and white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And one way in which I see grand culture showing up a lot, especially as a student at Howard University, like I see that, you know, in leadership positions and of course classes, like I see that among, you know, people my age a lot. And so um, I'm curious, like what, what do you have to say to younger people who are like, you know, getting caught up in grind culture? That's one thing that I'm trying to be intentional about now is like, how can I put, pull back from that, you know, and, and set that foundation as a young adult before like I actually get into the working world? 
Yeah, that's so important. I really, um, I just tweeted this yesterday, and I believe this with all my heart, that academia, um, education from public school all the way through graduate school, but academia as a whole is the headquarters for grind culture. It is the training ground. It's where they're training us and you to kind of be ready to be put out into the world and continue this. So it's really the place where we really need to be digging deep for people to really be thinking about how do you reimagine rest? And that's where this concept of imagination and tapping into Afrofuturism comes in and tapping into a reparations theory and really looking at rest, not as something that's this frivolous afterthought that you do once you're burnt out, once you're tired. It really has to be consistently a part of the whole framework for your life. You know, like, so you're a graduate student, you're in school. Um, it has to start to become a framework for how you become a scholar, your scholarship, your ideas, how you move, the jobs you'll pick, how you'll be a um, citizen in this country. You really have to start thinking about it now and gaining a rest practice now and reimagining what that can look like. Um, we have to tap into what our ancestors knew. They knew how to be subversive, flexible, how to create nothing out of, how to create everything out of nothing. And so we have to like really start to um, critique our lives and critique the systems that we're caught up in. So that could look like for college students, um, you know, saying no to some of the extracurricular things that you have. I mean, like really looking at your calendar and like looking at it in a way that you can find 10 minutes here, five minutes there, 15 minutes here to, to rest, to daydream, to slow down, to really be intentional about the things that you um you relate with. And so when I was in school, when I started the NAP ministry in graduate school, I was taking naps all over campus. Like I was five minutes here. That really saved my life, these 10 minute cat naps. And um, also I was really looking at the classes I took and trying to get through the program in a way, going to my teachers and telling them, look, I'm a mother, I work a job, I'm a dedicated student, but I cannot read a thousand pages by the end of the week. Can we do a different syllabus? You know, can we look at a different way for me? Can we be flexible? So it really is tapping into like, advocating for yourself and really um beginning to slowly look at rest as a meticulous love practice it's not going to be anything that's going to happen overnight you'll be deprogramming from grind culture for the rest of your life so and then i was also thinking about um you mentioned the rest is resistance framework and thinking about of course the moment that we're in with the coronavirus pandemic and these uprisings going on so how does how does rest fit into that because I think people would see like rest and think um that that's antithetical to like what everything that's going on like we have to be you know organizing and getting things together and like mobilizing people like how does rest fit into everything that we're kind of going through right now uh, rest is the foundation for this new world that we're trying to build rest is the foundation for us to be able to imagine and build and get the um, innovative information we need to get to the next level of our liberation. It's a liberation practice. It's not something that has to be done after, I believe. Um, as an activist and organizer, we need to be resting as part of our strategic framework for how we move about our movement um, ideas. We need to have rest built in silence, slowing down. We need to be able to tap in to the knowledge and the power that's already been done for us. Um, we come from a long lineage of people who've disrupted and fought against oppression. And so we have to tap into that. I think about Harriet Tubman and I was reading about her and how she, while she was on the Underground Railroad, literally running for her lives with white men behind her with this 
bounty on her head. She was stopping and praying. She was stopping at trees and stopping and praying. Like, just to really think about how deep that is that she was like running for her life and taking many people with her to freedom, walking, you know, dogs and horses and men with guns on her. And she was felt like it was enough space that she needed to stop and, and get a silent word from above, that she needed to center herself. And so I always look, think about her and think about our other movement ancestors, my grandmother who would always rest her eyes closed and that helped her to like get through her life and the trauma of being a Jim Crow survivor. And so we really have to start flipping rest on its head and realize that if you've been bamboozled by a system that's told you you aren't anything unless you work and work and work yourself to death, once you know that that's a lie and that's like not true, then you can begin to start reopening up the space to know, you know what? Rest is important. It's not an afterthought. It's part of me being a person who's going to be involved in movement work, who's going to be pushing back against um, oppression, who's going to be fighting in the streets, doing direct actions. Like you have to have it as these, this foundation to be able to imagine and build. Mm-hmm. And then what you were mentioning about, um, you know, how capitalism wants us or sees us as machines, wants us to see ourselves as human machines. Like how um, do people begin to do that work of unlearning, what you call like the brainwashing? Like how do we unlearn like what we've internalized about, you know, the world? Yeah, that deprogramming. It's a slow, meticulous process. It really goes to looking at who you are. Like I think at the end of the day, rest is kind of undoing what history has done. It's kind of undoing the lies that we've been told about ourselves our whole lives, that you, you're lazy, you're not enough unless you produce this, get up, do something. Like It, it really goes back to a, it's a spiritual practice of looking at yourself as a divine human being. Like Capitalism sees us machine, and we know that's not true. We know that we are divine human beings who are just worthy of life simply because we're alive. And so this really is a spiritual um, piece that comes into it a really a deep-seated knowing um tapping into our ancestors tapping into who we are tapping into the power of who we are just because we're alive and so it's a very um it's bringing us back to ourselves it's a call back to who we are into our natural state and in that same vein like thinking about how would i incorporate this into my own life i think you know one um like fear that came up was like okay well if i'm not resting like i'm missing opportunities i'm not you know i'm missing opportunities to get money to like feed my family or like you know thinking of somebody who's a parent or whatever like i think that um that is more indicative of like the system and how unjust the system is so how do you imagine um the nat ministry and the movement that you're starting with this to impact like policy and actual infrastructure Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really interested in um, collective and communal care, you know, and and the concept of community care and communities coming together to like make space for other people to rest. And so um, on a policy level, I really think that what's happening now with COVID and what people um, when, when we went on when we went on lockdown, everybody was working from home. You know, disabled people been asking to work from home for uh, mm-hmm. forever. And jobs have been telling them it can't work. We can't find a way to do it. And all of a sudden, everybody's at home working. Everybody's a shortened work week. I would love to, um, there's a movement happening for a four day work week. I would love to see something like that where we are able to. Um, enact some type of four day work week where we're able to get policy in where people have longer um, paternal. When they have a baby, they can stay home longer. You know, all of these things, um, everything centers around systems of care. And so 
this is a political and social justice movement. And so we really are at the end of the day looking to not wait for policy because we know policy comes when it wants to come. We can work as hard as we want, but we have to know the bigger system we live in. But I'm really interested in being subversive and um, disrupting the system and pushing back and not waiting and gaining our reparations and our um, liberation now, you know, and like seeing how that can look like in a individual individual way like one-on-one people laying down and sleeping and but at the same time it's really about the collective it's about us communally coming together to say no we are enough we're not going to be working overworking ourselves and making space for others to rest and creating opportunities for people to be able to slow down and it's going to start first from us internally knowing that about ourselves like not you know teaching people how to um with you like when somebody wants to work with me as an app ministry they have to know i'm not going to be returning emails immediately it might take days you're not going to rush me i'm not overbooking my schedule um you know I, I have an assistant who does some work for me like she makes her own schedule i'm not micromanaging you i trust you or you know to do the work and so it's really looking at a a, a system and a concept of abundance and not looking at scarcity we've been taught an abundance model of living that we, we, there's not enough for everyone. That's the lie. There's enough for every single person to have tons of things. Um, this scarcity model keeps us in the system of like um, thinking we're going to miss out, being fearful, being afraid. And so once we can start collectively as a community getting to a model of abundance and knowing what really we have um, as being beings here on this earth, um, I think that'll be like the next dimension for us to um, start to talk about policy. It has to start first from inside because as we know, the tricks of our political systems, the way that things work, um, it really has to start from like you and people who are six feet around you and just building out like these small community level ways. And that was actually my next question about how, you know, capitalism wants us to be disconnected either from, you know, each other or from our own bodies. Um, so how, yeah, how does, how does, or what does rest mean for collective care? Like what does collective care mean for, for rest? Yeah. Yeah, capitalism wants us working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they they want us to be on a human machine level pace. And so when you think about it, like I think people don't really sit and think about what that means and what they're trying to do with that. Like I think we kind of gloss over it a little bit because we're so used to that's what it is. But to think about how inhumane, um, how toxic, how violent that is, like grind culture is violence. And so once we can sit in the truth of that, it's maybe a hard pill to swallow, but that's part of the deprogramming. We'll understand that rest disrupts and makes space for us to have healing. It's a healing portal for us to go into a rest state and to gain um, a word from this um, dream space that we've cultivated for ourselves. And so it really makes sense why they don't want us resting, because when you're resting, on, even on a biological level, you're at your mind is in your creativity. Everything is at high level alert. You're at genius level. You know, you're at the level of where you can figure a lot of things out. So I think if we were not exhausted and numb and such on robot mode, we would be able to figure a lot of things out and be able to see um, ourselves as really the divine creatures that we are. And so rest um, allows and disrupts that. It makes space for it. it it's, it centers our liberation as a place of being in a rested state. We won't be able to get to these um, 
new liberated places without being rested. We won't be able to, you know, care for each other without being rested. We'll just continue to be really being violent with ourselves and each other. And so it's a deeper, people think it's just this, oh, I'm tired. I want to lay down. It's just, I want to sleep. It's like this frivolous, soft thing. And it is, but it's really a powerful place to be in a rested state. And naps help you wake up. They help you wake up to the truth of who you are, to what you're dealing with, to what you're living under. And once you wake up, it's like once a person is woken up, I believe so much in the divinity of human beings that once a person has woken up to the truth of who they are, um, they're unstoppable. We'll we'll be able to really um, get to our liberated place and get to our freedom, really. I love that. And then um, my last question is, you mentioned the phrase rest is reparations. And I think in some conversations about reparations, people just say like, you know, just, you know, cash every black person a check and move on. Um, so what does it mean to see rest as reparations? And what does that look like as like a long term vision? Yeah, you know, I, I have been saying cut the check for 15 years. I've been reparations queen speaking about it, writing about it for years. And so I'm with that as well. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But I think reparations in the way that I'm thinking about it is thinking about these micro details, what was happening on plantations all over the South and all over um, with black people and how they didn't have space to rest. And they were and so how we can reclaim that for them in this dimension. It goes back to like ancestor communication and being able to uplift and hold what they did for us. And so for me, it was really personal it was me saying to myself, my um, ancestors never rested. My grandmother never had opportunity to rest. She was a sharecropper and working and working herself to death. So what would it look like now for me to regain rest for them in this dimension to like take reparations into our own hands? When I think about reparations theory, I think about it from um, this active resistance of, um, of really ancestor um, honoring them it's an honor i will never grind for a culture and for a system that still owes my ancestors money you have a debt <laughs> like I, it doesn't make any sense for us to be grinding for a culture and for the system that we our parents and our great grandparents and all of their ancestors really built so they owe us and so we need to be resting the most. We've never had any type of um way to really gain any type of wealth from what was happening to us. And so now is a way for us to regain it in this dimension for them. And to, um, I think all black people should be resting um, even more than anyone. We are the ones who are dealing most with sleep deprivation. We've been dealing with sleep deprivation since we were in the um, fields. And so it continues on. It's just like transferred into a new way. And so it really means that we have to like, resist and refuse and honor and like connect with the people who laid the way for us and so in that way it's reparations rest becomes a, a reparations move for me to be able to say well my, they couldn't rest so i'm getting it for them now and also you can communicate and have a connection with um with them in those dreams as well mm -hmm. and then um keeping all that in mind what final piece of advice or like actionable next step would you have for for listeners in terms of you know them cultivating their own rest practice yeah i think um slow down 
you're not going to miss out. You know, I want people to just know what's for you is for you. What's meant for you is meant for you. I have built a global business by myself and I say not, no to 90% of things that ask of me. And I've always said no. I don't say yes to every single thing. Saying no is really a blessing. Um, you're not going to miss out because you can't miss out on what whatever is already your calling. It's already a calling on your life. So there's no such thing as FOMO. You know, you won't miss out on a new opportunity. Um, I said no to one thing that was this amount when I think as a business person, you know, it was this amount of money. And I was like, no, it just doesn't feel right. And a week later, I got three times the amount for somebody else who did feel right. So we just have to trust more and be radical in our faith and radical in our trust about who we are and what's for us. And also dig deep into an abundance model. An abundance model says there is enough for everyone. You will be taken care of. Things are well. Your your who you are as a human being will be provided for if you just follow your calling, follow your heart, follow what's best and um, what you feel that you want to do, and just trust. So. I think um, Grind Coach has taken away our ability to hope, our ability to trust, and our ability to imagine. And when you can't do those three things, you're, you'll say yes to anything, and you'll fear everything. And, you know, when you should just be saying, I trust for what, what the creator is going to offer to me. I can say no to that, and then I'll know it'll the creator and the universe will make space for me to be able to move in my, um, you know, in the place I'm supposed to be in. That's it for this episode. You can find us on social media at better to speak underscore or on our website, bettertospeak.org. If you want to sponsor an episode and support Better to Speak, you can find the link to donate in the description of whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. Be sure to tune in to future episodes where we'll dive into various sociopolitical topics with the goal of transforming silence into language and action. Once again, I'm your host, Casey Felton. Thank you for listening.